you've heard the phrase probably car crash television. It's so bad you just can't look away. And I wonder whether, you know, that phrase car crash television or car crash radio, whatever it might be, I wonder with some of the stuff on Facebook, Instagram, um, Snapchat, whether the videos are so bad people just have to look. And that's what's really scary. See, there's a text here says, it's absolutely terrifying listening to this as a parent of an 11-year-old about to start college next year, what to do. So that's why we thought we'd bring in Nathan Wallace, who's a neuroscience educator. He joins us now. G'day, Nathan. Hello, Nathan. Kia ora, fine. How are you guys? Very, very well, mate. So can we begin by the big... With this big subject we've been talking about, Nathan, there's a horror video going around. We just spoke with a teacher of a year 12 students who said every right. single one of her students saw it yesterday. And, oh, it, really? and I won't describe it to you other than say it's it's as bad as you could possibly imagine yeah, involving horrific. a right, yep, involving a death. So if your child has seen that as a yep. parent, can is there any way they can kind of unsee it? No, unfortunately, and, and that sort of thing has a big impact on the stress response system, your brain system. Or the, what you know, a doctor might call the HPA axis. It's just a highway of stress in your body. Kids think when they see something like that that they've seen it on video games and stuff, so they might downplay how traumatic it is, but the brain certainly registers that it's traumatic. So what should so, you do as a parent then to undo some of the harm? Is there anything you can do? Yeah, there's stuff you can do. Um, I think big message for parents really is as long as the kid talks about it, you don't have to solve it, you don't have to come up with a solution. It's basically just get it out of their head. You know, it's when it stays inside the head and they don't talk about it and they get weird ideas about it that ruminate. Um, that's when you start to have problems. So as long as they're talking, give them the opportunity to talk. Um, if they don't want to talk immediately, allow them to come back and talk about it. You know, make it easy for them to come back and talk about it later. Mm. Just no, get it out of their head, basically. Nathan, obviously, from what you're saying, that brooding is the wor- brooding and not telling anybody is the worst possible thing some poor kid that's seen this could happen to them. Yep. As a parent... Do you have any techniques for actually raising the topic? Because it might not be raised by your child, might it? No, it's not. Um, yeah. I mean, the technique I would use often is usually your child has a really close relationship with someone outside the home. That is their auntie or their grandparent, their uncle. You know, who's their favourite uncle? Or is there a grandparent they're particularly close to? So encourage them to talk to them about it. Because if they won't talk to the parent, they might talk to somebody else. Right. But I think the key thing, if the, if the parent's going to try and get the teenager to talk, the key word is validation. You have to validate how they're feeling, even if you think it's stupid, before you give any advice. Mm. So when the kid goes, oh, it doesn't bother me, I've seen all that on video games before and stuff, and you see weird stuff on Facebook, then yeah. you have to validate that first. You have to say something like, um, yeah, I know, but yeah, it may seem that way, that you've seen lots of horrific stuff before, so it might seem like this is not too different. And then they've you've they've understood that you've listened to them right. you know kids will do as you do not as you say mm. so if you want them to listen to you you've got to listen to them so reflecting back by that and going oh yeah i could see how you feel that way you've seen worse on video games or worse on the internet so i could see that you might not think it would be that bad but then when you say however you know sometimes those things really resonate and ruminate and they can come back and make you so i just want you to know you know you can always come and talk to me about it it was a traumatic thing that you've seen and yeah, you give them the advice after you've validated. Nathan, you're a neuroscientist, so we love talking to you because you've got the credentials here. And I'm, I'm sure this isn't the first time you've discussed social media with all the people you consult to and stuff. Is yeah, social right. media, is it addictive? Is there something you can see as a person that studies the brain where, mm-hmm. where younger people particularly and older are actually magnetized by it? Absolutely, because the whole human brain is really there for communication, for um, you know, communicating with other brains. 
so much of what is flash about our brains doesn't happen in my brain or in your brain, but in the space between them when mm. they come together. Mm. Um, so because the whole human brain's wired for communication, social media is communication. So it's not surprising to me that there, you know, that there's an addiction to it. Mm. I mean, when when we first got the phone, I'm sure that that generation of parents thought that our generation was addicted to the phone. Of course, you're going to take on board anything that enhances communication because humans are all about communication. Mm. Absolutely. Unfortunately, it comes with all these risks as well. Mm. Yeah. Nathan, would it be fair to say that things like reading and watching television are possibly Mm -hmm. not as addictive because they're more passive and there's not that interaction? Yes. I mean, it gets really complicated because it's about, you know, addiction. You can look at it from so many different angles in terms of brain waves and stuff. Um, sitting back and watching TV, some of that is quite healthy for you. It puts your brain into alpha waves, which releases lots of serotonin, um, which can actually, you know, relieve stress. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it is more addictive, basically, because it's commutative, because someone's answering back. Whereas, like you say, a television is really just one way. Your brain goes into that passive alpha wave mode and sort of switches off. Right. So, yeah, social media is much more addictive. Anything that communicates back from a real person is going to be more addictive. And finally, from me anyway, Nathan, uh, mm-hmm. I guess we live in an age which is a good thing for the most part. It's a good thing. We, we, we're a lot more tolerant about um, differences um, within Absolutely. the community. So that's a good thing. Yep. But I also yep. think I've got a daughter who's just had a wee son, and I notice, you know, it's, it, it's a oh, kind of a sc- Yeah, thank you. But it's a very scary age to raise a little one. Is it okay for parents to say no now? You know, like, no, you're not going to do this. No, we're not going to have social media until you're 14, 15, 16, whatever. Absolutely it is. Absolutely. It's always going to be okay. There's always The literature always looks at, um, divides it into three different groups of parents, brick wall parents, jellyfish parents, and backbone parents. <laughs> brick wall parents are just shut up and do as you're told. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're really strict, and they don't listen, and they don't have good communication, and that's associated with the worst outcomes. Most of the people in prison have brick wall parents. Um, jellyfish parent, a jellyfish has no spine. So that parent can't put in place boundaries, the kid walk all over them, wants to be their kid's friend. That's not good. It's better than being a brick wall, though, mm. <laughs> statistically. Mm. But a backbone parent is someone, a backbone gives you support and structure, but it is also responsive and flexible. And so that represents the parenting style. Yeah, you give the kids boundaries. It doesn't mean to be a brick wall and go, we'll not get it till 14. But you have a conversation that says, I'm really worried about social media. I really don't think it's um, good for you. I'm thinking that you should be, you know, like 14, 15, 16 before you have that. And so the child's got some room to go. And, and to announce it back and you sort of negotiate a boundary. But mm-hmm. I think it's always going to be okay to help put those boundaries in place for your kids and that provides the best outcomes. And so I think parents will always do that. Nathan, terrific talking to you. Thanks so much for your time. Cheers, buddy. Good talking to both of you. Thanks, Nathan. Nathan Wallace, uh, neuroscience educator. He is brilliant if you want to Google him using social media. <laughs> he's, he's, good on you, mate. he's outstanding.